Hello, and welcome to another edition of Social Studies on the Go. Today, we'll be looking at Module 3, Lesson 4 on Life in the English Colonies. But first, a question. Why do dragons sleep during the day? And the answer, so they can fight knights. Okay, here we go. Colonial governments. The English colonies in North America all had their own governments. Each government was given power by a charter. The English monarch had ultimate authority over all of the colonies. A group of royal advisors called the Privy Council set English colonial policies. Colonial governors and legislatures each had a... Each colony had a governor who served as head of the government. Most governors were assisted by an advisory council. In rich colonies, the English king or queen selected the governor and council members. In proprietary colonies, the proprietors chose all of these officials. In a few colonies, such as Connecticut, the people elected the governor. In some colonies, the people also elected representatives to help make laws and set policy. These officials served on assemblies. Each colonial assembly passed laws that had to be approved first by the advisory council and then by the governor. Established in 1619, Virginia's assembly was the first colonial legislature in North America. At first, it met as a single body, but it was later split into two houses. The first house was known as the Council of State. The governor's advisory council and the Virginia Company selected its members. The House of Burgesses was the assembly's second house. These members were elected by colonists. In New England, the center of politics was the town meeting. In town meetings, people talked about and decided on issues of local interest, such as paying for schools. In the southern colonies, people typically lived farther away from one another. Therefore, many decisions were made at the county level. The middle colonies used both county meetings and town meetings to make laws. Political change in England. In 1685, James II became king of England. He was determined to take more control over the English government, both in England and in the colonies. James believed that the colonies were too independent. In 1686, he united the northern colonies under one government called the Dominion of New England. James named Sir Edmund Andros royal governor of the Dominion. The colonists disliked Andros because he used his authority to limit the powers of town meetings. English Bill of Rights. Parliament replaced the unpopular King James and passed the English Bill of Rights in 1689. This act reduced the powers of the English monarch. At the same time, Parliament gained power. As time went on, the colonists uh, valued their own right to elect representatives to decide local issues. Following these changes, the colonies in the Dominion quickly formed new assemblies and charters. Colonial courts. Colonial courts made up another important part of colonial governments. Whenever possible, colonists used the courts to control local affairs. In general, the courts reflected the beliefs of their local communities. For example, Many laws in Massachusetts enforced the Puritans' religious beliefs. Laws based on the Bible set the standard for the community's conduct. Sometimes, colonial court also protected individual freedoms. For example, in 1733, officials arrested John Peter Zenger for printing statements that criticized the governor of New York. 
The governor claimed that these statements were false. Andrew Hamilton, Zanger's attorney, argued that the statements were true and that he should be allowed to publish his opinions. Jury members believed that colonists had a right to voice their ideas openly and found him not guilty. The Zenger trial was important in establishing the right to freedom of the press in the colonies. English trade laws. One of England's main reasons for founding and controlling its American colonies was to earn money from trade. In the late 1600s, England, like most Western European nations, practiced mercantilism, a system of creating and maintaining wealth through carefully controlled trade. A country gained wealth if it had fewer imports, goods brought from another, other countries, than exports, goods sold to other countries. To support this system of mercantilism, between 1650 and 1696, Parliament passed a series of navigation acts limiting colonial trade. For example, the Navigation Act of 1660 forbade colonists from trading specific items such as sugar and cotton with any country other than England. The act also required colonists to use English ships to transport goods. Parliament later passed other acts that required all trade goods to pass through English ports, where duties, or import taxes, were added to the items. England claimed that the Navigation Acts were good for the colonies. After all, the colonies had a steady market in England for the goods. But not all colonists agreed. Many colonists wanted more freedom to buy or sell goods wherever they could get the best price. Local demand for colonial goods was small compared to foreign demand. Despite colonial complaints, the trade restrictions continued into the 1700s. Some traders turned to smuggling or illegal trading. They often smuggled sugar, molasses, and rum into the colonies from non-English islands in the Caribbean. Parliament responded with the Molasses Act of 1733, which placed duties on these items. British officials, however, rarely carried out this law. By the early 1700s, English merchants were trading around the world. Most American merchants traded directly with Great Britain or the West Indies. By importing and exporting goods such as sugar and tobacco, some American merchants became wealthy. Triangular trade. Trade between the American colonies and Great Britain was not direct. Rather, it generally took the form of triangular trade, a system in which goods and slaves were traded among the Americas, Britain, and Africa. There were several routes of the triangular trade. In one route, colonists exchanged goods like beef and flour with plantation owners in the West Indies for sugar, some of which they shipped to Britain. The sugar was then exchanged for manufactured products to be sold in the colonies. Colonial merchants traveled great distances to find the best market for their goods. Middle Passage One version of the triangular trade began with traders exchanging rum for slaves on the West African coast. The traders then sold the enslaved Africans in the West Indies for molasses, or brought them to sell in the mainland American colonies. The slave trade brought millions of Africans across the Atlantic Ocean in a voyage called the Middle Passage. This was a terrifying and deadly journey that could last as long as three months. Enslaved Africans lived in a space not even three feet high. Slave traders fit as many slaves as possible on board so they could earn greater profits. 
Thousands of captives died on slave ships during the Middle Passage. In many cases, they died from diseases such as smallpox. As farmers began to use fewer indentured servants, slaves became even more valuable. Enslaved Africans in the English colonies tried to deal with their hardships by keeping their culture alive. They told stories and sang songs about their African homelands. By the late 1700s, the Christian religion also became a source of strength for many enslaved Africans. Some enslaved Africans resisted slavery. They rebelled by breaking tools, pretending to be sick, or working slowly. Great Awakening and the Enlightenment In the early 1700s, revolutions in both religious and non-religious thought transformed the Western world. These movements began in Europe and affected life in the American colonies. Great Awakening. After years of population growth, religious leaders wanted to spread religious feeling throughout the colonies. In the late 1730s, these ministers began holding revivals, emotional gatherings where people came together to hear sermons. Many Af American uh, colonists experienced a great awakening in their religious lives. This great awakening, a religious movement that swept through the colonies in 1730s and 1740s, changed colonial religion. It also affected the social and political life. Jonathan Edwards of Massachusetts was one of the most popular leaders of the Great Awakening. His dramatic sermons told sinners to seek forgiveness for their sins or face punishment in hell forever. British minister George Whitefield had revivals from Georgia to New England. The Great Awakening drew people of different religions, classes, and races. Women, of mem women, member of minority groups, and poor people often took part in the services. Ministers from different colonies met and shared ideas with one another. This represented one of the few exchanges between people from different colonies. The Great Awakening promoted ideas and virtues that may also have affected colonial politics. Sermons about the spiritual equality of all people led some people to begin demanding more political equality. Revivals became popular places to talk about political and social issues. People from those colonies with less political freedom were thus introduced to more democratic systems used in other colonies. Enlightenment. During the 1600s, Europeans began to re-examine their world. Scientists began to better understand the basic laws that govern nature. Their new ideas about the universe began the scientific revolution. The revolution changed how people thought of the world. Many colonists were also influenced by the Enlightenment. This movement, which took place during the 1700s, spread the idea that reason and logic could improve society. Enlightenment thinkers also formed ideas about how government should work. Some Enlightenment thinkers believed that there was a social contract between government and citizens. Philosophers such as John Locke thought that people had natural rights, such as equality and liberty. Ideas of the scientific revolution and the Enlightenment eventually influenced colonial leaders. French and Indian War. By the 1670s, tensions had arisen between New England colonists and the Wampanoag, Metacomet, a Wampanoag leader known as King Philip, opposed the colonists' efforts to take his people's lands. In 1675, these tensions finally erupted in a conflict known as King Philip's War. 
The colonial militia, civilians serving as soldiers, fought American Indian warriors. Both sides attacked each other's settlements, killing men, women, and children. The fighting finally ended in 1676, but only after about 600 colonists and some 3,000 Native Americans had been killed, including Metacomet. Native American allies. Some Native American Americans allied with the colonists to fight against Metacomet and his forces. These Indians had developed trade relations with colonists. They wanted tools, weapons, and other goods that Europeans could provide. In exchange, the colonists wanted furs, which they sold for large profits in Europe. As a result, each side came to depend upon the other. French colonists traded and allied with the Algonquin and Huron. English colonists traded and allied with the Iroquois League in the New York colony. This powerful group united American Indians from six different groups. Many American Indians trusted the French more than they did the English. The smaller French settlements were less threatening than the rapidly growing English colonies. No matter who their allies were, many Indian leaders took care to protect their people's independence. As one leader said, we are born free. We neither depend upon the governor of France nor the governor of New York. We may go where we please and buy and sell what we please. War erupts. Until the mid-1700s, France and Great Britain struggled for control of territory in North America. British colonists wanted to settle in the Ohio River Valley, where they could take advantage of the valuable fur trade. The French believed this settlement would hurt their fur trade profits. A standoff developed in the Ohio River Valley, where the French had built three forts. Fighting erupted in 1753 as the British military moved to take over the valley. When a young Virginian named George Washington arrived with more soldiers, he found the area under French control. Washington and his troops built a small, simple fort that he named Fort Necessity, after his troops suffered many casualties, captured, injured, or killed soldiers, Washington finally surrendered. His defeat in 1754 was the start of the French and Indian War. Colonial leaders such as Benjamin Franklin met to discuss defense. The convention produced a plan called the Albany Plan of Union, based on Franklin's idea for uniting the colonies. The Iroquois tribes, or Hadusunene, as they called themselves, took part in the convention. They may have helped shape the Albany plan with their ideas about government. Franklin published his famous Join or Die political cartoon to help convince the colonies to unite. Meanwhile, in 1756, fighting began in Europe, starting what became known as the Seven Years' War. Treaty of Paris. The turning point of the war came in 1759. That year, British General James Wolfe captured Quebec, gaining the advantage in the war. However, the war dragged on for four more years. In 1763, the British and French signed the Treaty of Paris, officially ending the war. The terms of the treaty gave Canada to Britain. Britain also gained all French lands east of the Mississippi River, except the city of New Orleans and two small islands in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. From Spain, which had allied with France in 1762, Britain received Florida. In an earlier treaty, with Spain had received Louisiana the land that France had claimed west of the Mississippi River. The Treaty of Paris changed the balance of power in North America. Soon British settlers began moving west to settle new lands. 
Western Frontier. In the late 1600s and early 1700s, most colonial settlements were located along the Atlantic coast. At that time, few colonists had settled the backcountry. Thick forests, steep hills, and few roads made it hard to settle. By the mid-1700s, however, many colonial settlers or pioneers were slowly moving into the Virginia and Carolina backcountry and the Ohio River Valley. Many of these settlers were Scots-Irish immigrants. The Scots-Irish were people of whose ancestors had migrated from Scotland to Ireland. A group of German immigrants called Moravians settled in the foothills of North Carolina's backcountry mountains. They were a religious group who saw themselves as a large family. Indian leaders like Chief Pontiac opposed British settlement of this new land. Pontiac's rebellion began in May 1763 when his forces attacked British forts on the frontier. Within one month, they had destroyed or captured seven forts. Pontiac then led an attack on Fort Detroit. The British held out for months. The British leaders feared that more fighting would take place on the frontier if colonists kept moving into American Indian lands. To avoid more conflict, King George III issued the Proclamation of 1763. This law banned British settlement west of the Appalachian Mountains. This law also ordered settlers to leave the Upper Ohio River Valley. The right to settle and claim ownership of land was important to colonists, so the proclamation angered them. Most colonists ignored the king's proclamation. They believed they had fought the war to keep the French from blocking their settlement of the western frontier. They did not like the British government telling them to stay out of those lands. As a result, fighting between the settlers and the Americans continued. American Indians continued. The colonists were not used to laws being strictly enforced in the colonies. Before 1763, Britain interfered very little in colonial affairs. This hands-off policy was known as salutary neglect. The British Parliament passed laws to help govern the colonies, but governors rarely enforced these laws. The practice of salutary neglect encouraged individualism and self-reliance in the colonies. The colonists got accustomed to acting on their own. Soon, new laws would be passed by Parliament that would further anger the colonists. That's it for today. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for next Social Studies on the Go.